Welcome to another edition Hello. of Thinking Like a Lawyer. We're just going to ignore that you keep interrupting <laughs> like that. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. Uh, that was Catherine Rubino, also of that august publication. And uh, we're here to chat about the week's legal news, you know, with yeah. some degree of seriousness, I guess. I mean, hopefully not too much seriousness. Yeah. That'd be weird. Yeah, no. So... We actually have uh, a few things to go over, but before we get to that, um, yeah. Yeah, how have you been? How uh, was, you know, not spring bad. Spring has sprung? Uh, a little bit. What these days? Although some parts of the country I see are getting snow in the next couple of days, so that's not great for that's them. It's not fun. In May. May snow is not okay. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say that that's not good for them. I think there's a mega drought going on in this country, so perhaps it's good that they're going to get am a bunch I like, of snow. Am I like a terrible person for not even realizing that there's like a mega drought? Yeah, no, you are. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah, cool. 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 I, I mean, I, it, it makes you feel any better. This wasn't the the thing that put me over the top on knowing that. So. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. So we've. We've got the law review contest going over at Above yes. the Law. And for those, we spell review, R-E-V-U-E. Well, it's not we who do it, right? That's that's oh. the longstanding tradition of uh, law school talent shows, basically, to, to spell it that way. And, you know, it's good to have it back. It, yeah. Historically, at Above the Law, we do an annual competition. We have schools send in their best uh, video of any performances um, from the law review show. And then we have folks vote on them. And it's every year, it's sort of a highlight of the ATL calendar. It gets a ton of traffic. People seem really into it. And we didn't have one last year because there was a global pandemic and no one knew what the hell was going on. Mm-hmm. So, so even then, like some of the performances that already happened and, you know, it was during lockdown, no one knew. So we, we took a pause last year. And uh, maybe this is, and listen, it was always an online event, right? But it still didn't happen last year. But it's good to see that... Um, Good to have it back. A little return to normalcy. Little yeah. comedy sketch singing. It's yeah. all always fun. Yeah, we have three finalists this year. Um, if you go to AboveTheLaw.com, you can see the commentary that Joe, myself, and our other co-editor, Stacey Zareski, have about them. And uh, we'll see. I haven't voted yet. Yeah, me neither. I don't have any. I, I ha- think I have a favorite. But there are two of the finalists uh, use uh, Megan The Stallion songs. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm... WAP and uh, Savage are the two songs that, that they do parodies of that I quite enjoy both of them, to be honest. And the other finalist is a, a Hamilton song, which is also, you know, pretty classic. Yeah. yeah. Well, great. Before we get going too far uh, into talking about, you know, down this law school rabbit hole, so go there, vote, whatever. We're not going to talk about, well, we are going to talk a little bit about law school still, but you know, law school is the place that you go to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Ah. So take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Enjoy peace of mind with one-click reconciliation, automated transaction alerts, and real-time bank data. Visit trustnota.com slash legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. Yeah, actually, I just got done. I saw New York released its report on how much law thievery happened last year. Thievery? Uh, small law, you know, almost exclusively small lawyers dipping into client escrow funds and you know, converting you, them. Yeah. And that's, when you, you know, I remember when you had to take the ethics portion of the bar exam, uh, I was panicking because, you know, that's pretty much what I did before every test. Yeah. But I was like, I'm going to fail. And somebody told me, like, listen, there's only one thing you have to remember. Just don't mix your money with theirs. Yeah. And you're I, probably going to pass. And I it, did. It's unreal that people get... <laughs> 
And obviously, a lot of these people uh, in this report, which are trying la- to last thieve, year was right? the most uh, New York has had of these problems so, like, ever, the most people which is terrifying. Because, because of COVID, so many more people were doing it? Or- it was fewer people, but more money. Uh, but anyway, uh, like those folks values. are yeah. Those folks are trying to be bad actors, but don't let yourself accidentally be in that position by not keeping good track of where your money is, and that's why you use a product oh, wow, like was, Nota. Oh, I, I, I wow! I, I didn't realize this was all part of the ad read. I thought it was, well, it wasn't. It was just a new story that came up today, but it right. struck me it's particularly relevant to our ah. friends at Nota. So I thought I'd. Uh, I'd ah. Expound a little bit. I see there. I see. Yeah. I see. No, the um, the conversation we wanted to have, folks may have seen, especially if you read other legal publications. I don't know why you would do such a thing, but if you <laughs> why did read the Volok conspiracy over at uh, Reason Mag, you might have seen us become a bit of the news. Yeah, yeah. We have, uh, over at Above the Law, had a lot of coverage recently, unfortunately, of law professors who believe that the most imp- – white law professors, I think I need to clarify. Yeah, to be very belie- clear. <laughs> who believe that the best part of law school is them hurling around racial epithets as much as they can. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. for the kids, for education. Well, they have to. How yeah. else are people going to learn? Yeah. We've got to learn them good. Yeah. How could you possibly understand yeah. what racial epithets are if you don't – actually always Use articulated the, the in un- the euphemized version. Yeah. 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 So Professor Volek wrote an article right, uh, with, in the uh, law review. With Randall Kennedy. With Randall right, Kennedy, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wrote an article in a law review about how great it is for white people to use the N-word as much as they can. Mm-hmm. Our columnist of ours, a law professor columnist of ours, wrote a reaction to this on Above the Law about how this is one of the laziest pieces of scholarship he's ever seen sure. uh, and is just all around embarrassing and they should feel embarrassed. Well, and, and I mean, not that not that this was gone into initially, but it's also very self-serving, right? Like I've written, you've written about Professor Volokh in the past using the oh yeah. u- u- racial slurs in class. Yes. Uh, the un-euphemized version, full N-word, you know, and in particular uh, when they were asked not to. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, this is also very self-serving in the sense that creating some some sort of a um, academic or you know scholarly reason for doing the problematic behavior that they are engaged in is yeah. it becomes justified then right because look at their scholarship about it okay they wrote it but yeah and then and then the real nonsense of the whole thing is after our anonymous law professor makes fun of them mm-hmm. Uh, Volokh comes at us demanding a reaction publication where we would apparently give him space in our pages to react to somebody, despite the fact that he has a law review in which he's expounded upon this, as well as his own relatively successful blog affiliated with a major magazine where he could respond to this, but no. And also, we don't do one-off publications. And we don't. just our policy. but, But no, he feels it's really important that we have his voice heard in response to this, you know, because... Not how any of this works. (laughs) Because, you know, when other people feel as though, you know, their feelings are being ignored or their concerns are not being heard by a law professor, that's because they're weak and don't understand. But when somebody makes a joke about him... The presses need to stop and allow him to speak because it's all about listening to white people speak whenever they get a chance to uh, complain. That that has kind of been the history of this country. It was so Anyway, we brought Ellie Mistal back to respond to it. Uh, it, He responded to it substantively. Right, because the the 
piece that they did publish in The Vala Conspiracy was about a, a second columnist at Above the Law, which a couple of years ago had used a block quote that had an unedited version of the racial slur in question. Right. And, and, and they try to make this as though this is analogous, which, frankly, I don't think this is, because the analogy to the earlier article, which just had a quote from a book that did that, which probably shouldn't have happened, but to the extent it did, that's analogous to saying, you know, you have to read a case that has that in there. Mm -hmm. Nobody's really arguing that, you know, especially when we're talking about, you know, Nazi cases and stuff like that, nobody's arguing that this law ceases to exist. People understand it needs to be dealt with and read, whatever. The problem is when by after reading this case, Volok wants to turn the conversation for the next hour into him throwing out his own personal hypotheticals about things. Right. That's the part right. that crosses the line into gratuitous just, use. Yeah. yeah, just being gratuitous uh, with your use of racial epithets for the hell of it. And that's why the analogy to an earlier article of ours having a quote from a mm -hmm. book talking about right. the- And again, it was a columnist, yeah. not yeah. not one of the editorial voices. At of course. And, and look, if that columnist had felt the need to utilize that sort of rhetoric in commentary, that would be analogous to this and be problematic. But he didn't. He, he absolutely- It's a poor analogy. Yeah. You know, that, that analogies are actually an entire section of- <laughs> <laughs> of standardized testing. Like, I don't understand how... Yeah, how law professors are so he's bad so at so bad them. at analogies. So yeah. I think, the, and you're right, I think the analogy is wrong. I think that also we publish a tremendous volume of articles at Above the Law. And I mean, I, how do they even find the article? Do they actually go into the search engine and like type in the full epithet? It, that's weird because our search engine is terrible. <laughs> it, I don't know. It, like, it, it really was just poor analogy, even to the extent that it was a right. thing. And I mean, it, what, I think you're right. And I think that the other thing is that in, in Volok and Kennedy's article, they try to um, make a distinction between use versus insult, right? Mm -hmm. And that like merely saying the epithet is different than insult using the insult. And of course, they're different in kind. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's worse if a professor uses an epithet as, you know, you terrible, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, slur. Right. Of course, that is worse than if you're just you're mentioning the word. Right. Of course. But that doesn't make it okay. Right. We can hold multiple complicated ideas in our head at the same time, both yeah. saying that using it as an insult is worse, but it's still not okay to just use it. And I think another point that Ellie makes I think quite eloquently is that there's no reason not to change it to a euphemized version. Everyone knows if you say they used the N-word. Everyone knows what it is. Yeah. And, well, and that was Ellie's point that yes, was so yeah, good. And so yeah. That's, I'm, I'm reiterating his well, point here. Yeah. Well, and that's the issue with this use insult distinction that people try to cling to to justify their own bad behavior. Sure, there's a difference with use, but it also has to be a use that is required, basically. Mm -hmm. Look, if you're putting somebody in, you know, you're writing an opinion about like what somebody did that, you know, might be criminal behavior or whatever, the record has to be accurate. Sure transcripts has to be accurate. That's a place where it has to be. The law classroom where you're at like, so this person used a racial epithet, what should happen to them? You don't need to right. do that. Like right. it's it's an it's I mean I've already used the word gratuitous, but that's what it is. It's an attempt to bootstrap onto 
the case to and and I've said this before and I'll say it again because it comes up entirely too often you know not just Volok there are, are too many law professors who feel like it's okay to use the n-word in the classroom it happens uh, way, I ha- way too I've, often I basically have a cottage industry about writing how why are we still having this conversation why are you doing this and 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 I think uh, having written about it so many times and so many different professors I just think that there's this sort of purian thrill like you know some oh I I'm transgressing yeah. oh, yeah. acceptable norms uh, and and say I get to say it yeah. even though I'm white because I'm in a classroom and this is education and it's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. It's utter bullshit. And like, to not even recognize that there's this sort of transgressive thrill that they're getting and trying to capitalize and try to, without even recognizing that, I just think is entirely dishonest, whether it's they're not even admitting it to themselves or, or you know, it's it's more obvious to them. But it is it is so clear to me that there's something deeper going on psychologically because there's no practical reason in order to use any racial yeah. slur in class. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, law school students are not kids, right? Right. They're freaking adults. Yeah. These are all grown-ass people. Who fully can comprehend the entire discussion without having to go through this. Right. It is completely gratuitous, unnecessary, and really demonstrates your lack of respect for people who are not white. I should have had a counter going with like a ding or whatever for the use of the word gratuitous. I think we got it in there a bit. But I mean, it, I mean it's, yeah, it fits. If the gratuitous shoe fits. Yeah. You know, I have a question. Okay. How have law firms weathered previous economic downturns and come out stronger on the other side? LexisNexis Interaction has released an in-depth global research report confronting the 2020 downturn lessons learned during previous economic crises. Download your free copy at interaction.com slash like a lawyer to see tips, strategies, plans, and statistics from leaders who have been through this before and how they've reached success again. So, so if you were running for office, have you ever run for office? I have not. Have you? Okay, I have actually. Um, uh, interesting. What did you did you win? I did. I was unopposed. Um, <laughs> I was on the Those Kings the- County, uh, New York, of Brooklyn. I was a Brooklyn delegate to um, the uh, party committee. Um, fancy. Yeah, yeah. So, did you have a campaign website? I did not. But you know why I might have wanted one? To dispel the conversation about the girl in my bathtub. Um, Uh, What girl? Yeah. So this doesn't actually apply to me as far as we all know. Uh, (laughs) As far as anyone's able to prove. (laughs) As Charles Perito Jr. is running for district attorney in Philadelphia, and he has a campaign website. And one of the subject headings is the girl in my bathtub. And um, the first sentence what? is, first sentence is, there shouldn't be a section for this on anyone's campaign site, but because some people will not let this go away, I must address it. But there was a girl in his bathtub. There was. Like and a dead one. Yes. A, a, and to, that's the old, uh. Louisiana thing. Yes, a, a dead girl was in his bathtub. Uh, it was a paralegal that he employed, as far as I could tell at the time, or at least had at some point. He was dating her, and uh, she died in his bathtub. Yeah, that's going to come up. It yeah. should come up. Yes. Like, like as a matter of like due diligence, right, the press should continue to bring this up. Um, people in who are voting on this should be aware that there was a, a they should they should have questions. If someone wanted to be the district attorney where I lived and there was a dead girl in their bathtub, I would have questions. I think that's it would reasonable. Come up. I think I, it's I think reasonable. reasonable. I think it's reasonable to have questions about the dead girl. 
a, a tweet by uh, Michael Whitney, who uh, was where I first noticed the story going down, makes a good point, uh, which he tags with, when you definitely know math and the law. Uh, the <laughs> section from the campaign website is, in short, the best way to start with this is the medical examiner's report. She was a 0.45 BAC. That means that 45% of her blood was alcohol, three exclamation points. So what any of that means. That is not how blood alcohol content works. Another thing that I feel is though the district attorney should be on top of. It is disturbing that a potential district attorney does not understand that. But but okay, so so the person who died, it actually happened a while back, right? And above mm-hmm. the law covered, I think, before either of us were, were at the publication in 2013, 2014, something like I, that. I was here. Okay. Uh, okay. but because I remember write. this story. Okay, okay. Fair enough. I was not. When I saw a tweet saying something about a guy running for office about a dead girl in the bathtub, I went Oh, I know this story because because uh, I was here when we covered it. I didn't write that story, but yeah. So okay, I've got I've got some some bones to pick with this this situation here. Obviously, you know it's it is hilarious. I will I will say that that like the dead girl in your bathtub. Right, it's not hilarious that there's a dead girl, and, that, and that is kind of my but, point. And that is my point. Like he put it on his website as the girl in my bathtub, right? Like that was the heading that he mm-hmm. he put there. But in coverage from 2013 2014, he describes the girl as this his soulmate, someone that he loved, right? He was in yeah. a relationship with him, and and okay, you know, there's questions obviously about you know somebody that you were close to died in your home, right? Then why don't you have a section that is like that person's, I don't actually know the person's name, uh, but why not have like so-and-so's name or in memoriam or like the tragic circumstances regarding the death of so-and-so. Those are all ways that also address these questions that don't make a caricature of someone that you said that you loved, right? Someone who is a a person that should be respected as, you know, she had hopes and dreams and and was a real person. And he has, by trying to uh, minimize its import in the race for his own kind of, you know, benefit, he's trying to minimize the who she was as a person and make it just a joke. Yeah. Right. Because, oh, and, and, and I get it. The way he says it makes it seem that way. But but he's the one who called her a soulmate. Yeah. And now he wants to write it off as a as she was a terrible, she died in my presence, but, you know, and make her uh, the butt of a joke as opposed to, you know, something that tragic, a very tragic, I would be like, this was a tragic thing that happened in my life. Yeah. If that, you know, if, if you were, if I was running for office and this happened to me. Because I understand these sorts of tragedies, I can better serve you. You do under, yeah, no. Right, you, like that. this is a way to, to, to actually talk about it in a way that's productive and relevant to the race that he's yeah. running as opposed to just make it a joke. Yeah, the whole thing feels almost like a Lifetime Movie of the Week. It was, wasn't it? It was a Lifetime oh. Movie of the Week in 2018 called The Girl in the Bathtub. So yes, Lifetime yeah. has already made this story into a movie. <sighs> yeah, it seems like maybe... The sequel is coming, I'm guessing. Look, uh, this guy has relatively no chance of winning this election. I would so. hope so. I mean, uh, It's still going to make me salty. The newspapers that have always endorsed not the incumbent have all endorsed the incumbent this time. So I feel as though there's very little chance, but we'll see. You know, crazier things can happen. Let's uh, take a break to hear from our friends from Lexicon. 
Here's a message just for the attorneys out there. So you passed the bar, joined a firm, or even built your own. Now are you finding out that you're doing more administration than actual law practice? Lexicon can help. Lexicon is a legal services and technology provider with over a decade of experience streamlining administrative tasks like timekeeping, HR, billing, client intake, and more. So you can focus on maximizing billable hours and increasing client satisfaction. Call 855-4-LEXICON or visit lexiconservices.com go to learn more. And let's talk about, uh, well, you familiar with Judge Lynn Hughes? I believe I've written about him. Yeah, Judge Lynn Hughes. Everybody, I think, Ed Above the Law writes about him at some point because uh, he's a, he's an interesting character in the federal legal, judiciary. Legal lies. Yeah. Uh, judge Hughes, a uh, federal judge down in Texas, he is, by his peers, rated as the worst judge in the U.S. system. I don't know whether or not that's fair, but that is certainly what people say of him. He is known for being very mean-spirited and harsh with his bench slaps, mm-hmm. which in, you know, goes around, comes around. He's also on the, the Fifth Circuit also treats him, him to back, yeah. a number of bench slaps for his behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So he has a new one out, which I read it. I'm going to say something that I'm not totally comfortable with. I kind of think he's got a point. Are you making a, like a broken clock situation? Yeah, like- I, I feel like he might be right about this one. Uh, Judge Hughes put out this opinion about a young man who had tried to join ISIS uh, several years ago. Ultimately did not, but his friend who he was going to join with did. And uh, he gave his friend like all the money he had on him when they separated, like mm-hmm. handed him couple hundred bucks or whatever it was. It's telling that this opinion doesn't even say how much money it was because it's such an insignificant amount. And he pleaded guilty to this. He actually had renounced all of his leanings to the terrorist organization Mm -hmm. before he was even arrested. And uh, the federal government wants to put him away for 15 years. That seems like a wild misuse of federal funds. Yeah, that seems like that might be a little extreme. And Judge Hughes agrees. Judge Hughes thought 18 months was right. The government appealed. It was kicked back to Judge Hughes. At this point, the guy's been in prison uh, pending appeal for several months, has racked up a great disciplinary record there, is, you know, on, on the mend. He's, like, pursuing a degree. Judge Hughes says scoreboard basically i we now have proof yeah. that this kid is yeah making, on, making on a good changes, way yeah so we're gonna stick with 18 months and the fifth circuit then took the case away from judge hughes and is sending it back to somebody else to make sure the government gets the 15 years that they want and look judge hughes's reason for all of this is it's a little sus there is uh reading through the footnotes it appears as though his big problem is that this case was brought by the Obama Justice Department, and he doesn't trust the Obama people. So, you know, not probably the right reason Amazing. to be opposed to this. But I mean, when you read the bio of this kid, and frankly, taking the government's position at its most, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt on everything they say, sure. I read their petition and thought, yeah, 18 months sounds about right. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I, 15 years seems absurd. That that seems absurd for, you know, this is someone who's renounced. Yeah, who's not a threat at this point. Not who, a threat at a, this point. A, didn't do anything yeah. ultimately, and B, is not a threat at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It, anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, there we go. Listen, J- let's be clear, right? Back in, back in the day, like – Irish folks in Brooklyn gave a lot more money to the IRA. Yeah, no, I mean that was that was pretty directly terrorist back then. Yeah, yeah, no, the um, Judge Hughes 
criminal justice reform warrior all of a sudden. Weird. Yeah, no weird. Uh, Yeah, so I think that uh, brings us around to the end point, you know. Parting is such sweet sorrow. Yeah, it is. But we will be back. You can check us out in other places, too. We have AboveTheLaw.com, where we write every day. We also have other shows. Uh, Catherine hosts The Jabot. Yeah, what were we going to say? I was just going to say I I host The Jabot. Oh, okay. You want to take that part? I host The Jabot. Uh, that was that was worth it. Do you even know the the names of the show, the other shows besides thinking like a lawyer that you're on? Yeah, well, I'm on uh, Legal Tech Week's um, journalist uh. roundtable. Well, no, it's Legal Tech Week is how you would get the podcast. But I think he uses that to talk to do some other things. But there's also a weekly journalist roundtable that I am a participant in. Fair enough. Yeah, this week we talked about legal conferences and uh, you were some salty mistakes. about it, is what I know. Well, yeah, no, you were it, salty. I had been a defender of these people, and it turns out they were uh, which people. Uh, the Iltacon people. Uh, uh, that's yeah. the first in-person conference, right, that you were talking about earlier? It, it You would think that, yeah. Uh, and it is an in-person conference. They just decided not to, well, originally, we found out on all of us in this legal journalist roundtable, we were all sent documents saying that we weren't invited, uh, that, you know, because of COVID, uh, even though it's in-person, you have to log in and watch, which I defended them and said, look, I'm sure this is capacity limits right now. I'm sure it'll, they'll get around to inviting us. But what we learned mid-roundtable was that some of us had actually been invited. So uh, they have a list of like their preferred legal journalists to yeah. deal with. No, and, and it was great. Um, the, the journalists, uh, we all kind of banded together and yeah, denounced obviously. this as a kind of egregious uh, attack, attack on the legal journalism world. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, look, uh, what we... Those of us not invited resolved is that we're all going to go anyway was and it, hold an alternative Was conference. it the first people, like the first in, like we have 20 passes available for journalists, the first 20 get them? Was that the situation? No, no, no. They oh, just, they, they invited. So it's a preferred list. Well, they invited Bob, who makes sense uh, as kind of the dean sure. of this. Bob Ambrosi. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, then they gave another publication, not one, but two passes to cover it, which in, instead of inviting like other people. publications. Yeah. No, it's, this doesn't uh, seem great. Yeah, this doesn't well, seem great. Yeah, well, you're gonna. Be, it'll be an interesting story to write from the lobby of. <laughs> it, look, the I, hotel. I, I fully expect to be invited before this is all over. But if I'm not, I actually think this is gonna be a lot but of fun. This just sounds like terrible PR, too. Like, how do you not? No, first of all, first of all, I, in the legal tech world, the fact that you have a week, multiple weekly wrap up shows is known. Yeah, I right. mean, it, it's a so, very small pool so and we talk, all talk together. You talk, right? Oh, yeah. And to not know or get out ahead of it, be like, hey, listen, this is the situation. Uh, you know, we have a limited number. Get out ahead of it and don't just yeah. like let people find out on the air because I guarantee their oh, it, unfiltered reactions are always going to be worse. But it made for great radio. Sure. <laughs> so sure, but finding I'm, out live I'm, was I'm great. I'm saying as a you're talking as a journalist, which I think is correct, yeah. but I'm saying it's a particularly bad an organization. PR yeah. move and whoever's in charge of media for ILTA. It seems a, like an unforced error. This is a trip. This yeah, is it a seems trip unforced error. Yeah, so that was a long way of saying that I'm on that show. That was and, actually fun, though. Yeah, no. <laughs> I and, like when you get salty about things. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm at 
Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One, which is that numeral one on Twitter. You can check out the other shows by the Legal Talk Network. Thanks again to Lexicon, Noto Powered by MT Bank, and LexisNexis Interaction. And yeah, that's everything. So we will check in with you again next week. Peace. Peace.